0: I'm Donna, and I'm Carrie, and we are paranormal chicks.
1: Episode 180. Hey, y'all! Hear Donna's shitty. Well, I shouldn't say shitty voice, but shitty <laughs> well, it, voice it
0: is. I sound worse, but I feel better. I mean, I take that. I'm sorry for y'all, but I, I do feel better. But my voice is. It's taken a hit.
1: Yeah, she sounds pretty pretty terrible. So. Uh, breaking the fourth wall a little bit here, but luckily we're going to record this in two parts, like over two days, obviously, hello, two parts, but over two days. So hopefully tomorrow when it's her turn to record her story, she'll sound a little bit better. Yeah. So if you're like, um, while the sudden does Donna sound better, it's because it's the next day.
0: Yeah. One day later.
1: Well, no matter what day it is, we are super happy for all of our new Patreon, pa- How do I call them? Patreoners!
0: That was weird. All of our new Patreoners. Changeling alert.
1: No, I was like, I almost said patronages is what I almost said, and so that's why I was like, what do I say? Okay, anyway, thank you so much, Haley H. from California. Courtney D. from California. Okay, do y'all know each other? Shelly F. from Ohio. Scott Y. from the UK. Bex
0: H. from New Zealand. And Ashley M. from Arizona.
1: If you want to join Patreon and get an episode shout out and get all the bonus content that these awesome people are getting, head on over to patreon.com slash the APC podcast. Okay, so since Donna's dying over there, and I think my story's kind of long, let's just jump right in. Alrighty. So... Colby fucking loves movies, and I'm more of a, like, let me just watch a TV show because I need to be able to, like, get up every so often. I just can't invest that much time into one thing, right? He fucking loves movies. And he put on this movie called Lords of Chaos the other day. Wait, is this about the band?
0: Yes. Okay, I do know about it.
1: Okay, so it's got, which I was like, is that Macaulay Culkin's brother? And he was like, I don't know. And I was like... Let's look it up. And it totally is. It's Rory Culkin. Yeah. Rory Culkin is a super hard name. Like, Culkin is a hard last name. And then you're going to put Rory with it? Yeah. I mean, no shade to him. I mean, it's a nice name. I could never date him, though. No, you would literally couldn't even be his friend. Or you would just have to call him, What's up, Roy? Like, you would never be able to say his full name.
0: I would have to just say, What up, Boo? Because I couldn't get anything out. Hey, you. But he's on the cover. I know what it looks like.
1: Well, Colby puts this movie on, and I come in after he's, like, watched a little bit of it, and I was like, wait, what is this? And I start watching it, and, like, there's some scenes, because it's based on true events, and, of course, you said it's about a band, and it's about a band called Mayhem that is a black metal band from Norway. And so being a black metal band... You know, they kind of twist some of the stories to make them look a little more badass and a little darker and a little against mainstream. You know, so some of the stories, they, of course, follow the lies more than the truth because it makes for a better movie. But it's the lies that are told around the band. But, I mean, there was a moment in the movie where I was like, I I can't watch this. And, like, I had to leave and, like, go do... So, well, you know, I got a new vacuum cleaner from our oh, um, salvage place. So I was like, vacuuming. Well, I came back later, and it was kind of getting towards the end of it. And it was like I was entranced by it, but now I cannot get this movie out of my head. Because you remember how with the Joker, I said it just was, had such a deep impact on me. And that's how this movie was. And so I was like, I got to do this story. I just want to say that, now, I think you should watch the movie, because it was, I mean, it was a good movie, and it, the I was just like, whew, holy shit. And it's based off of a book called Lords of Chaos. Mm-hmm.
0: I think Ashlyn, uh, she mentioned this, or she suggested this.
1: Oh, well then, damn,
0: two weeks in a row. I might be completely off on that, though.
1: So... All that to say, content worrying about the story. One, I'm going to fuck up names. They're Swedish. I'm going to fuck them up. And two, this is a very very dark story to me, and there were a lot of aspects of this story where I was just like, "Holy shit." Because again, it's kids in a black metal band who are intentionally trying to get that shock factor. And so there are a lot of aspects of the story where I was just like, "Holy shit." And this story deals with a lot of issues surrounding mental health. And again, I mean, this could even be a trigger warning, death by suicide, and that kind of thing. So just just know that this is a very heavy story. So if you can't listen to this week, please stick around for Donna's story or just skip this episode entirely. Because again, one more time, it was a very heavy story to me. Okay, so this whole story begins with a guy by the name of Oystein Arschat. I think is how you pronounce it. I literally have listened to it like 10 times, and my mouth just doesn't make that sound. But he goes by the stage name Euronymous. So we're going to call him Euronymous basically the rest of the episode. Euronymous was the co-founder of the band Mayhem, which was a Norwegian black metal band. And the band started in 1984. From what I can kind of gather, the scene of black metal was growing, but it was still kind of like this subculture where there wasn't a lot of like people like producing the music and mainstream success, obviously. And so to grow a band, it was a lot of word of mouth, connecting with other bands, like local shows type things. Euronymous started the band with Keatle Mannheim and Jörn Stubard. So Jörn was a bassist and he went by the nickname Necrobutcher. And so that's what we're going to call him throughout. So basically, Mayhem, the band, went through a couple of different members of the band, But eventually, they met a guy by the name of Perin Olin, who went by the name Pell, but also went by the nickname Dead. And Dead was his most common nickname, and so that's the one we're going to call him as well. Dead was a vocalist for another Swedish death metal band. And eventually, long story short, he ended up becoming the vocalist for Mayhem. Okay, so the movie was kind of from the point of view of Euronymous. And so it definitely painted him in a much better light than I think he actually was. Like, he was actually a pretty shitty guy. And from what I could tell, Euronymous would really pick on Dead and, you know, basically bully him some as part of the, like, kind of welcome to the band kind of thing, which is not a thing. Don't fucking bully people. But just to kind of give you an idea of dead and just his personality. So when he was applying, if you can, to the band Mayhem, he sent them a letter with his demo. And along with all of that, he sent them a crucified rat.
0: What? Yeah. No, thank you.
1: No, I don't want anything dead. And I certainly don't want a rat. No. I, I don't think that really anybody actually liked Euronymous, but it seemed like he kind of was the one with the money. I don't know. That that's just kind of my perception. And I literally have nothing to base that on, but it was just kind of my that's kind of my perception. In nineteen ninety one, the band they needed a place to be able to practice their black metal, right? I mean, you're not doing it like in the middle of town in a fucking apartment complex, right? So Dead, Euronymous, and their new drummer Hellhammer all got a house together in the woods. This was a place where they would practice and party and all the things. At first, they say that Euronymous was pretty straight laced, if you will, in that he didn't really he didn't drink, he didn't smoke, he didn't do drugs, he didn't do any of that. Whereas Dead was the opposite. When he was little, he was born with sleep apnea and even had an accident where he had some internal bleeding because his spleen had ruptured and was, like, dead on the table. And they brought him back. So he just, like, lived this wild life. Like, he had looked literally looked death in the face and was like, well, I've looked in the face, here I go. So he partied a lot, and I think that was some of the conflict. But eventually, Euronymous started partying himself, the band was starting to get a bit of a following because they were so over the top. So, Dead and Euronymous painted white makeup on their face with like black paint too, and they called it corpse makeup because, of course, they wanted to make them look more dead-like and black metally, and you know all the black leather and spiky belts and all the things. Dead was all about the shock value. Before a gig, he would bury his clothes so that he looked more corpse-like, and then he would kill a bird, an animal, a little animal of some sort, and put it in like a brown paper bag, and then like huff the bag before the like before the show, so that he could like exhale death during the show.
0: What? Yeah. Okay, one burying your clothes that seems very extra work.
1: Well, and I think too sometimes he would bury it with like a dead animal too. Wow. But that could also be like some of that could be extra. Yeah. For stuff too. Like but,
0: sensationalized it.
1: Right. But I mean, he was literally dirty so on stage. So he
0: can exhale death. Yeah, like he Ugh. wanted he wanted
1: like death in his nostrils to be like on his breath basically.
0: Oh, that's so gross. Yes. Did he have a girlfriend? I don't know. Because I would just be like, instead of, have you smoked? Like, you better go brush your teeth. Have you smoked? Go brush your teeth. Have you inhaled death? Go brush your teeth.
1: Go wash your face. Go scrub your nostrils. Go brush your teeth. Wash your hands. Take those dusty, dirty clothes off. Well, and like, of course, I know it's a movie, so it like makes these parties that they had at their house look so like, first of all, even Colby said, you know they stink. Because, like, there was Ugh. so much alcohol and just, like, yeah. you know, they had been partying for, like, days on end. You know, just...
0: just I, my body has never been that functional. No.
1: Is that a word? Well, even, like, there was this one scene where one of them had, like, woken up in this weird position on this couch. And I was like, oh, I would be so fucking hungover waking up like that. Like, if I drink, uh-huh. I have to be in a bed, comfortable. If I am in a weird position and I don't sleep good forget about it i'm gonna be so fucking hungover
0: uh that a crick in my neck exactly my back, but that makes everything. you
1: more hungover though oh for sure you don't but get to sleep at all yes yes my gosh but in the like not to tell you all the movies because you yeah, really do think you should go watch it but yeah of course they show like all these scenes where like people are just like randomly having sex in places so like there's these groupies that of course I mean, there's a scene for it. I mean everybody's got a scene for everything. Like literally there's a thing for everything. So I'm sure that they did have people that were attracted to them and thought oh, that was for sure. So fucking hot and sexy.
0: Yeah, for sure.
1: They would go to the butcher and get a pig's head and like put it on sticks as part of their stage setup and then
0: Oh, Ed Kimber, hello.
1: Yes. And then as the show was like one down or over or just in, in it, they would like take the heads off and throw it in the audience. Now this is again, you know, content worrying for self mutilation and all, but dead had a history of self harm with cutting and he would even cut his arms on stage and like bleed and like put the, like give the blood like in the audience and stuff. No, no. As an audience member, absolutely not. I do not know what diseases you do or do not have. I need some gloves. Right? Like, yeah. You could be the cleanest person in the world, but I ain't touching your fucking blood. I don't know what you got. Like, can I get a can I get a, a test or something before you be smearing <laughs> your blood all over me? I feel like I'm skipping so much that it just explains really even how anti-black metal mayhem was as a band and how they really pushed the limits in their performances and in their everyday lives. They literally tried to be those people that when you think about the music that people are like, Oh my God, I don't want my kids to listen to that because I don't want them to blah 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 blah. You know, this is this is what they wanted to be. They want you know, they were self-identified Satanists and they were self-identified haters of cultural norms, and even, again, like I said, even haters of what black metal had become, and they wanted to push the envelope in every way and make people hate them, make people afraid of them, make people sickened by the things that they did because they were constantly trying to push the bar and see how far they could step over the line. Dan and Euronymous had a difficult relationship, as Euronymous did with most people, it seems, He just liked to egg them on and push them to their limits and just kind of find that weakness in them and just push their buttons in that way. And for dead, an area that he struggled with was his self-harm and his mental health as it related to his want to die by suicide. So that was a way for Euronymous to push his buttons. Now, this next part, I don't know if it's true. I don't know if it's one of those rumors But according to some band members, it is true that Euronymous actually gave Dead, like, shotgun shells so that he could die by suicide with them. Wow. Yeah, so that's why I say, like, he's a shit human being. Yeah. When it comes to, like, stuff like that. Yeah. You know, they were living in that house together, and tensions were high, and Dead just wanted to kind of get away, and so he just went out into the woods for a little while because— Euronymous was just playing this like synthesizer type death metal that he just didn't like. And so just to kind of get away, you know, just out of the house and in with nature. And his closet. Precisely. So he goes outside and Euronymous just has to poke the fucking bear and has to follow him outside and like shoot a shotgun in the air and stuff just to like continue to disturb him. Like, just fucking let it go, man. Why you got to, you know, why you got to keep it going? Just fucking let it go. He took himself out of the situation. Why can't you? Well, on April 8th of 1991, Euronymous had been gone from the house. And when he got home, he tried to open the door and it was locked. And so he's like, what the fuck? And like, kind of, dude, open the door, Dad. Like, what the hell? So he ends up climbing in through Dad's window to try to get into the house because the door was locked. And when he gets inside the room... He finds Dead's body. Dead had died by suicide. And this is, again, skip forward if this is too much for you because I feel like this is important. So Dead had used his new hunting knife to slit his wrists and his throat, wrote his suicide note, and then shot himself in the head. Oh, wow. So it was an incredibly gruesome scene. Some people believed that dead had a condition called Cotard or Cotard delusion. So apparently that is this rare condition where basically you believe that you're not like a living human, but you have a corpse inside of you. And so it usually is from people who have had physical trauma as a child. Or, you know, where they've like experienced death, like he did, where he was like dead on the table from the right. spleen rupture and then came back. And so they think that they actually died and they're just basically like a walking corpse. And so they mm-hmm. don't fear death. They think that, okay, well, I'm just going to die. And so they don't fear like self harm and all of that of cutting because basically they're dead anyway. So some believe that. This next part, I'm going to tell you that that potentially that syndrome or disorder is how he could be, I don't want to say callous, but so flippant in his suicide note and even in the way he died by suicide. I mean, because again, he slit his wrists and his throat and still wrote the note and then shot himself. I mean, that's a lot. That is gruesome. That's a lot of injury, too, you know? The first line of the letter, he says, Excuse the blood, but I have slit my wrists and my neck. And, like, just that. He's like, excuse the blood, like, pardon me, but, you know, I had to do it kind of thing. But even in the note, he talks about—I'm not going to read the whole thing— but even in the note, he talks about how he had to give some semblance of an explanation. I'm not a human. This is just a dream, and soon I'll wake he talks about that the wording of the note he didn't just come up with. He came up with it 17 years ago. Well, when Euronimus crawled into that room and found his friend, because it was his friend, lying there, you know, your first thought is, oh, my God, let me call for help. His first thought was, oh, you know what? Let me run to the corner store. He went to the store and got a fucking camera. Whoa. Came back. Posed like the knife, the gun, oh my gosh. and fucking took pictures. Wow. Now, this is another rumor that was later confirmed by band members, but I'm not really sure exactly what part was confirmed, but I think it's the latter, not the first. So, allegedly, Euronymous made a stew with part of Dead's brain. No way. I think that that part is not real. Like, I mean, he eventually called for emergency services. Like, I mean, it's 1991. Like, they would have done, but then again, though, how would they know? I mean, this mm-hmm. is going to sound really terrible, but he shot himself in the head with a shotgun. Like, yeah. there's no way that they could be like, oh, we got, I mean, Sorry, this is so graphic, but there's, like, oh, we got all the pieces,
0: you know? I just don't think he did that.
1: No, I don't either. But the part that I'm pretty sure this is what the band did confirm, though, is that he did make necklaces from pieces of his skull.
0: That I can believe.
1: Yes. And in the movie, they showed that. And, like, picture, like, those shark tooth necklaces that you used to get when you go to the beach as a kid. Yeah. Like, that's legit what it looked like. And... He gave those out to band members and then just kind of other people in the scene that he deemed worthy. Well, here's the thing. This caused a huge rift in the band because some of the members were like, this is our fucking friend. And you took pictures of him? Right. Like the necklace and the, like, you're using this to further the band and to make us look cooler and all this stuff. And you're a douche canoe.
0: Right. Yeah.
1: And then some people say that when Dead died by suicide, it was like a changing point for Euronymous. Like he became more obsessed and more into the black metal scene. And just with everything satanic and evil and pushing the envelope even more than he and Dead already did.
0: But satanic in, not in the real satanic way, but in the satanic in the fake satanic way yeah in the shock value right what everyone believes satanists are yeah in
1: the in the like i'm gonna be this dark black metal music and i don't want these square parents to want their kids to listen to me way right. not in the uh, i'm an actual practicing satanist right way. correct necro butcher even later was the one that was the most vocal about how fucked up it was how Euronymous handled the death of dead. And like I said, it caused such a rift that mayhem was only left with the drummer Hellhammer and Euronymous, who's the guitarist. And so I'm not sure at what point this happened, if this was before the members left the band or if this was after. But eventually the pictures were, of course, leaked on an album cover and that had part of his suicide note on the album cover. Wow. Which is why I didn't read the whole thing because even yeah. though it's like it's online if you want to read it and I think I've even read an entire suicide note before but there was just something about this one that I felt like it was a little more private and I just like I just feel like it's so exposed to the world yeah. and it's not fair. It's not like he's some criminal that He's not a fucking Ariel Castro that died by suicide in prison to avoid his sentence. This is someone who was hurting and in a bad place. Like, I would have no qualms being like, this is all the things that Ariel Castro said. You know, but this, I just feel like his death has been used enough. Eventually, Euronymous and Mayhem moved on. Euronymous eventually opened a record store named Helveti, which is, I think how you say it, but it's the Norwegian word for hell. The movie basically said that he got the money for this store from his dad, which is why at the beginning I was like, I think he kind of fronts the money for them. I don't really know, but that's just kind of the feeling I got. And this was one of the things that made me kind of think that. Okay, so this store was in Oslo. Now, eventually, Euronymous starts putting the pieces back together and making the band again. And that's when Christian Vikern's who's also known as Varg, enters the picture. Varg's background is a little unclear because, again, he's going to want to make himself look way more badass than he actually is. But his mom did back up some of it. So apparently his dad was a lead with an iron fist type of guy. Varg says that his family lived in Iraq, specifically Baghdad, when he was six years old for about a year. Now, he says his dad worked for Saddam Hussein, developing a computer program. His mom does confirm that they did live in Iraq for about a year. But none of that worked for Saddam Hussein business. Which I guess, would you confirm that if it was true? But I don't think it's true. Now, when they lived there, allegedly, Varg went to an Iraqi elementary school. And that's where he became quote, aware of racial matters because all the other kids would get disciplined and he wouldn't. And they said, it's because, this is what they said, it's because he was white, they wouldn't discipline him, whereas they would the other kids. Now, he has stories, like specific stories that he says he can remember of getting in arguments with teachers and the teacher's not disciplining him because he's white and blah, blah, blah. But long story short, Ulvarg grew up to be a big old piece of shit himself and he is a neo-Nazi Satanist in the same way that Euronymous is a Satanist. So in 1992, that's when he joined the band Mayhem as a vocalist. There's a lot of stuff too I'm not really getting into about how like Records were released when they said they were going to cut people out of it and put people in and like, I'm just not getting into all that. Now, Varg and Euronymous had not the same dynamic as Euronymous and dead, but a toxic one nonetheless. They both tried to outdo one another, especially as it came to their like black metalness. You know, that's not a thing, but you know what I'm talking about. They wanted to see who could outdo one another, who could be more over the top, who could be more sadistic, who could be more outlandish, who could be more shocking, who could be more all those words. It seemed like they would do things to one another to push that envelope back and forth to one another. Once Varg joined the band, they started having church fires in Norway. The first one was June 6th of 1992. And by January of 93, there were at least seven other church fires, like arson attacks on churches in that area. And it was all these guys. Because of their Satanist beliefs, they were attacking churches. Wow. One of the churches that they burned down was built back in, like, 793. Holy fuck. Like, it was a landmark. Yeah. Like, it was a a big fucking deal. Yeah. And while all the other churches were a big deal, this is the one that was like, wait, what church got burned? Yeah. Can you imagine just that sickening feeling when you find out that that is the church that they burned? Gosh.
0: For no reason. For no reason. Reason because it's not even their actual beliefs,
1: right? Well, I get a little confused on the timeline, but eventually Varg does an interview with a journalist like anonymously. But also, he had already been like one thing said that he had already been arrested for the burnings because they assumed it was them, but they just didn't have the evidence, so it ended up being dismissed. And through the interview, basically, he was like, Yeah, I did it. It wasn't Euronymous. He keeps trying to say he did it, but he didn't do it. It was really me. Like, it was this competition. Uh And at that church that was like the church that had been built so long ago, Euronymous was there because that was part of their battle where he was thinking that, oh, Varg's one up in me. Oh my God, he's doing all these arsons. People are going to think he's way more badass than me. I got to be there for this church to make sure that they think that I'm the one that did it so that I'm the badass one. Wow. And I'm like, meanwhile, now you're just going to fucking go to prison, you dumb fuck. God. Another thing I read timeline wise made it sound like. Okay, he did the interview. Police were kind of thinking it was him. He did the interview. And because of the interview, police arrested him for like a week. And while all that was going on, Euronymous actually had to close the record store because of all the bad, basically, publicity because of them fucking committing arson on these iconic churches.
0: Yeah, that's what heinous crimes get to
1: you. Exactly. That's what should happen. Right. Y'all got canceled. So basically from there, they couldn't keep Varg because he didn't have they didn't have proof, yada yada yada, so they let him out. This seemed to kind of be the last straw for the relationship between Varg and Euronymous. And they decided that they needed to go their separate ways. And so Euronymous had a contract drawn up. To sever ties, like end their relationship with the band, like, let's end this, we're done. Cut in the partnership. Euronymous had sent it to Varg, for Varg, like, here, you sign it, like, let's be done with this. So, on August 10th, 1993, I know, two days from your birthday.
0: Okay, thank you. She wasn't gonna say it.
1: Until fucking Smoking Sisters from The Simpsons over here leaning in trying to talk. Okay, so August 10th, 1993, Varg and a guy from the band named Snore Rooch, I hope I'm saying that right, they traveled, I'm making this time up, but like an hour. Like, it was like they had to travel there. At like four a freaking clock in the morning to Euronymous' house to bring him the contract that he had just signed. Now, Varg says that he was terrified of Euronymous because... I mean, this is a dude who, like, sent dead bullets to die by suicide. Like, they're very aggressive. It's alleged that Euronymous had actually stabbed dead before. Like, there's a lot of, like, physical altercations. Allegedly, when I think it was Varg had said to Euronymous, I wonder what it's like to stab somebody. He was like, you should go do it. Like, he's just, he's very encouraging in the worst possible way of people to do these horrible, heinous acts. And so Varg said that he was really scared that Euronimus was going to kill him when he went, because he had also heard that Euronimus had a plan that he was going to tell him that he's got this contract for him, get it drawn up, and then when he came to give it to him, he was going to tase him and like subdue him and then stab and kill him. And he had heard that from multiple people, that that was Euronimus' plan. So when he went there, he was scared. So meanwhile, why the fuck are you going at 4 o'clock in the morning and going to meet him at his house? Like, why not, like, I don't know, meet at a coffee shop? Like, why are you doing that? But I digress. So when he knock, 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 Euronymous answers the door in his fucking boxers. Varg goes in, and they start arguing. Now, this is the one of the parts of the movie other than the scene with... Dead's death that was really, really hard to watch. Because what ends up happening is Varg ends up taking a knife from Euronymous's kitchen and starts stabbing Euronymous. Now, the part of the movie that shows this is supposedly pretty accurate as far as, at the very least, the stabbings because they said that they took the autopsy and recreated that based on the autopsy. Now, one thing said that, from what I read in all the articles, his body was found in his apartment, and then in in the movie, he wasn't found in his apartment. So, you know, there's some obviously some theatrics to it, but the actual killing is supposed to be pretty accurate. There was another part... That just stood out to me. So apparently Varg. He didn't drink at all. Like no drugs. No alcohol. Nothing. But he really liked milk. Picture like Norwegian Ovaltine. Whatever their like brand is. And there was just like a scene in the movie. Where he was just like stirring that. And drinking that. And it was just very like. I just remember that scene. And then when I read that. That's what he was, like, known for. He didn't drink, and he, but he did drink that milk. And so he would just be, like, walking around parties where everybody's, like, ah, partying, drinking, going crazy. And he's just, like, got his Norwegian Ovaltine, you know. And I don't know. That just really stood out to me in the movie. And that was even before I knew that detail. And now going back, I was like, whoa, you know. And, like, the – The milk part was at a pretty climactic part in the movie. And it was just like, let's pause and drink our Ovaltine. And it was just like, damn. You know, it was just that sadistic evilness. All in all, Varg stabbed Euronymous 23 times. He stabbed him five times in the neck, 16 times in the back, and two times in the head. In the back is... That's, wow. But two in the head? Yes. The back, it's like, he's either laying down and not a threat to you, or he like ran and you chased him and stabbed him. But the ones in the head are just like, that's fucking gruesome. The attack and the screaming and all was so loud that it was enough to wake the neighbors for them to call for help.
0: Golly. It's just like... In that moment, I know you're not thinking about this because you're being attacked and all of that, but it's just like what you're feeling right now is what you made made so trivial over dead. Yeah. You know, like he was so cavalier about everything and so whatever, and it's like, no, you're screaming and all of this is painful and all of the, you know, like this is real. And you made it so... You made it a staged thing that was on your cover art that you
1: conveniently leaked. You know what I mean? Exactly. And even encouraged someone else to do to others and to themselves. Well, longer story short, police ended up arresting Snore Roach as an accomplice because he was like the basically the getaway driver. And they did end up catching up with Varg. And when they found him, he had 150 kilos of explosives and 300 rounds of ammunitions in his house. They say that he had plans to blow up this, like, leftist organization as part of, like, his white power bullshit. He had gotten rid of his clothes in a lake on his way home. And so when he was arrested, basically they tried to plead not guilty, that it was self-defense type stuff. And he said that, you know, again, like I said, he had heard and he knew that Euronymous was going to attack him and that a lot of those wounds, because it's like, okay, yeah, but 23 stab wounds, dude, 23 stab wounds. And he was like, oh, that was from some broken glass he fell on. Um, Sir, broken glass does not cause stab wounds. They may cause a puncture wound, but not a fucking stab wound. That's not how this works. That's not how any of this fucking works. So the getaway driver got eight years in prison, and Varg was found guilty of murdering Euronymous and the arsons for four of the churches, and he was sentenced to the maximum sentence available in Norway, which was 21 years.
0: Oh, my goodness.
1: 21 years. 21 years. Wow. Yep. So, while he was in prison, he, like, fucking, like, recorded some shit and was very involved in his white supremacy bullshit. Apparently, so, okay, he was allowed to leave the prison, like, for short stints, I guess, like, weekends or whatnot, to visit his family. He was denied parole a couple of times But eventually, he was paroled, and he served 16 years of his 21-year sentence. 16 years? 16 years. So, since his release, apparently he's not so, like, satanic anymore. He's more pagan, allegedly, and still makes music, but is still living his fucking neo-Nazi bullshit. And so, he's, like, married with three kids, And his wife is in on his bullshit, too. So, he was actually arrested in France because they thought that he was going to stage this terrorist act. So, basically, they arrested him because on his website, he had started talking about this other guy's manifesto who we don't even give a fuck about him, but... He had been responsible for this bombing in 2011 in Oslo, which killed 77 people because he is a piece of shit neo-Nazi as well. So on Varg's website, he was talking about War in Europe Part 5 and talking about that guy's manifesto and just talking about all this stuff, basically like kind of almost like rallying the troops. And so they arrested him because his wife had just bought some more guns. Legally, she had bought them, but it was enough for them to go, did he just, is he about to, is he? I never found anything else that came of that. But that's the last piece of him I found on the internet. So clearly nothing has fucking changed with him. He's still a piece of shit scumbag who is still up to his neo-Nazi bullshit and trying to destroy people's lives, just as he did before with Euronymous. And was Euronymous a good guy? Absolutely fucking not. But does anybody deserve to be murdered? No. So that's the story of the black metal band from Norway, Mayhem.
0: I never heard of Mayhem before. Me neither. That, but I'm not in the black metal scene either. Me neither. And if someone said they were going to exhale death, I would have been like... No, never mind. Not my bag.
1: Literally. Your bag? Because that's what he inhaled it out of?
0: Done. I'm done.
1: Not, maybe not the best choice of whatever those things are called. (laughs) But, yeah. And there's so much more to the story. Like, Varg said that he killed this other guy in the woods. You know, there's just, like, so much else that I just didn't even, there's no time. You know? Yeah. I mean, there could be, like, a multi-part. Well, there's a whole movie about it and a book yeah and I can't remember if it's Hellhammer or Knuckle Death or whatever the fuck his name was that is like has written multiple books about it too or you know mm-hmm. it's definitely sad that Eurotimus died or was murdered but I think the the saddest part of the story is the mental health issues that Dead faced that mm-hmm. he did not receive help from either whether it was from that rare condition that they thought he may have or yeah. it was just a mental health disorder I mean, I think either way it's mental health. But anyway, the point is, is that he had some serious trauma and demons that weren't addressed. And he died at such a young age. And so that's what's so sad about this story. Yeah. And that his trauma and his death was used to gain fame and gain infamy and gain money for the band. Yeah. Which they're still doing, though, if they wrote books about... Everything but if it's more autobiographical then no, I mean you could say that about literally anybody who writes a biography about their trauma, you could, but that's not fair it's It's their right to tell their story, and it's therapeutic in a sense to tell your story that way because the band members were traumatized as well oh for sure, so it's therapeutic and it's so i don't I don't think so in that way I don't know I haven't read any of the books, so but I just sh- conceptually though, I mean yeah.
0: But I'm just saying I haven't read them, so I don't know what kind they are. Okay, well, with the heavy-ass story of Carrie's, we're doing something a little lighter, kind of, because I'm
1: doing a cryptid. Okay. So does it sound like your voice? Um, Probably. That's like how I picture the cryptid would sound, like if it was like a creepy crawly, like, uh, that's probably how I would sound. Well, it's
0: not. It's not creepy crawly. I'm talking about the Honey Island Swamp Monster. This is a cryptid that's actually one of Creepmom's favorite, I believe, but I could be wrong about that. So first off, you hear swamp, and you know it's going to be local to us somewhat. Well, the Honey Island Swamp is in St. Tammany Parish, and it's basically 20 miles long, 7 miles wide of marshland. It's located in the Pearl River Wildlife Management Area and it's known, according to Wikipedia, to be one of the most pristine swampland habitats in the United States. This is because it's one of the least messed with swamps in the country, so pretty much it's like still in their original packaging. It's known as Honey Island due to all the honeybees that were seen around the marshland at one time.
1: I have wanted you to do this one so bad. Do you remember when we went to the Audubon Zoo not too long ago and they had like a exhibit that would have been him and like what he looked like? You don't remember me sending you that picture and be like, look, it's the Honey Island Swamp Man. Like, I want you Uh -uh. to do him.
0: Uh -uh, I don't. That's funny. I don't remember that. But did you fall for it like you fell for the Staphylococcus I hate you so much. I will never let you live that down. And
1: no, because Colby said, look, it's the Honey Island Swamp Man. And I said, what? So... Probably would have.
0: Probably would have. No,
1: because he had a mask on. Like, he was, like, dressed like COVID. Like, they had, like, a big mask on him. So, no, I wouldn't have.
0: (laughs) Well, a lot of the wildlife is protected due to it being in the Pearl River management area. So, even if you saw the Honey Island Swap Monster, you probably wouldn't be able to kill it. Or maybe that rule doesn't apply to cryptids. I don't know. So, of course, it's called the... Honey Island Swap Monster, because uh, due to the location it's been spotted, but it also gets its name or it lives up to its name from the large, wide set amber slash like honey eyes that the creature has. It's believed to be around seven feet tall or a little bit taller, around 300 to 450 pounds, and has long grayish hair on its body and head. And sometimes, I guess, he gets fresh snips in the summer because his body hair is a little shorter than what's on his head. Maybe he, like, sheds like a dog. Maybe.
1: But Marley doesn't get shorter hair because she sheds. Oh, never mind. (laughs) Right? Yeah. I don't know. But, like, maybe it, like, all falls out and it grows back. Maybe. He is bipedal. So, you know,
0: he walks upright like we do. Honey is what I affectionately call him. (laughs) Uh, Of course I do. That
1: does not surprise me at all.
0: (laughs) Well, Honey also has webbed feet, and, you know, he doesn't wear the cologne, so he smells like putrid trash or, you know, rotting flesh. Some say that he's like the Cajun Sasquatch. So, like, picture Bigfoot with webbed feet, basically, and Honey Eyes. So they say, like, he could be a cousin of Bigfoot, but others say he's an evolved version of Bigfoot to live in the swampy area, hence the webbed feet. Local lore has some other origin stories for Honey, though. They say that in the earlier part of the 20th century, there was this wreck that happened that involved a train. And the train was carrying members and equipment of a traveling circus. Well, there were some survivors and a group of chimpanzees were like, uh, outie. And so they ran off into the forest and lived there for the rest of their days. But they found love in all the wrong places, like the local alligators. So Honey is basically 23 and me descendants of the circus chimpanzees and the gators mating. That's what they say.
1: Uh, I, I, my face does not translate on a podcast. <laughs> Which uh, how do you how, people say you can't do that? Yeah, I'm like, how does one? But I mean, if you get the bloopers, you know, I didn't understand how an an egg was fertilized. So that is like a chicken egg, y'all. So but how does <laughs> one
0: alligator and chimpanzee do that? I don't know, but i I know that when you want it, you figure out a way. So the heart wants what the heart wants. Now, another origin story is that honey is actually Latish, question mark, on that pronunciation, which is what indigenous population had as a folklore. It's thought to be an evil, dangerous creature who could live both on land and in water and was a meat eater. And it's thought to have an origin story as being an abandoned child who was raised by alligators in the swamp. So, like, swamp book, not jungle book. One of the things they said that the Latish did was swim in the swamps and overturn boats of unsuspecting guests in the swamp. To that, some kids just don't have any manners. Oh, Jesus Christ. You wrote that down, didn't you? I I did. And just like the Latish, Honey is thought to be a meat eater, and he's always been accused of killing and feeding on the livestock and children, like wild boar and children. How that got lumped in, you're you're questioning it
1: too? Yeah, I'm like, that's a very different palate. Right. (laughs) It's like, ugh. I'll have some caviar and, well, I can't think of anything else, (laughs) but you get the point.
0: Yeah, I've never had caviar. I would never have caviar, so I don't even know what
1: that would be. But, like, I'm talking about, like, like a fancy yeah, food no, I know. and then being, like, I'll, I'll have some caviar and some Vienna sausages. Okay, both are gross, and
0: so I would be like, oh, I could see that person eating that then. But you know what? I'm just not meant to be rich because all the fancy food, nope, not for me. Okay, so back to honey. There's two major sightings. The first one was in 1963. Two men were searching for an abandoned campsite or cabin, you know, like you do. But they were in a plane looking down searching for the cabin. And they were in, you guessed it, the Honey Island Swamp. Well, the men were Harlan Ford and his friend Billy Mills. They saw this clearing and then they saw some movement. And it was a creature unlike anything they had ever witnessed before. They held eye contact for just a moment, and then it rushed away into the underbrush. Harlan was interviewed later, and he said that it was ugly and sinister and looked like something out of a horror movie. I think they were shooting some B-roll for a documentary about that abandoned campsite or cabin or whatever, but it was with the Super 8 camera. And they caught honey on video when they were dragging some wood back to their campsite that afternoon. They went a little ways down from that place because obviously that wasn't the site for the cabin, but the Honey Island Swamp is huge. So it was still in that same vicinity. Well, they first saw honey on all fours and they thought it was like a big boar or something. But then when they were talking about it, like, what the fuck are we looking at? What is that? The creature stood up on two feet and then took off. And that's what they have on camera. Well, then they returned a couple of years later in 1974 during a duck hunting trip. And they realized that they were back in the Honey Island swamp. That's also when they noticed that there were some wild boars around that were dead and, um... Yeah, they had their throats, like, torn out. Shit. At first glance, they were like, damn, those gators did the boars dirty. But then they were like, wait, we're really not by any water. We're not super close. So they kind of looked around for any evidence as to what might have done that to the boars. And that's when they saw a footprint. Well, several footprints by one of the boars there was this ten to twelve inch footprint that they describe as being webbed and having three claw like toes on it. So they were like, okay, let's get out of here and that seems like the smart thing to do. However, they weren't leaving for good. They told their family about like what they had come across and all of that. And they decided to go get some stuff to make a cast of the footprint. Because again it was unlike anything that they had ever come across. They needed receipts. Right? So later that afternoon, they trekked back over to the spot, found the footprint again, and made a cast of it. And that was the only two times that they had any kind of dealings with Honey. But there was another man, Ted Williams, who said he has encountered the Honey Island Swamp Monster before. Actually, several times. And he has reason to believe it's not just one. See, Ted was a fisherman, and so he lived and worked in the swamp for most of his life, for years. The first time he encountered the creature, Ted said it was standing so still he thought it was a tree or something. But then this tall-ass thing moved, and he said it jumped over the water, ran past him, And then it disappeared in the dense brush. But he said even though he freaked the fuck out, not his words, but even though he was scared, it was really just because something was there that wasn't supposed to be there and it startled him. But he didn't feel any aggression or anything coming from Honey. Another time that Ted and Honey crossed paths, there were these two creatures, just like the one he had seen before, but this time they were swimming in the lake or the swamp, they were swimming in some water that I wouldn't get in.
1: You don't get in anything other than a swimming pool, so... E-
0: exactly. So it was natural water there. <laughs> well, he said they had really long arms, and they swam like a human, like doing the same like strokes as a human would. During an interview, he said that he could have easily killed them, but they seemed too human-like, and that they didn't want to do any harm to him, so he couldn't justify killing them. It is said later on, though, that Ted went out to check his gill nuts. And just kidding, like, I wrote that because I watch Alone, that show on History, and they always talk about checking their gill nuts and traps. And look, I watched the show. I could never be a fucking contestant ever. And so, I don't know, it just reminded me of that, but he really did... He went out to set trout lines, so kind of like gill nuts, sort of, not really, but kind of, he went out and was never seen again. Oh, shit. Dun, dun, dun. So, maybe they did want to harm him after all. Maybe they said,
1: I'll eat whatever doesn't eat me first. Right? He should have ate first.
0: Another eyewitness is a man named Perry Ford. He heard honey and he said that it screeched like an owl but it was deeper and it sounded stronger. Perry also said that dogs picked up on the scent and started to hunt the creature one night while it was circling his tent. He said that the creature kept making that noise and stuff and he could hear it moving. So around daylight when he was brave enough to go outside there came a pack of dogs that made their way to his camp too and were circling it over and over like they were smelling the creature. And then they left and disappeared in the woods like they were, again, like running after that creature. But then there were two guys named M.K. David and J. Michael, and they wanted to do some investigating of their own and shoot some, like, B-roll for their documentary. So in 2003, they made their way downtown, just kidding, but to Honey Island Swamp. However, their plans were thwarted by the locals because they told the guys everything was a hoax. Honey was just like a local joke. They said that Harlan Ford and his friend Billy used a shoe with three-toed attachment to it to produce that footprint mold, and that the shoe had been found.
1: Oh, shit.
0: Yeah. And also, remember that Super 8 footage that he had gotten when he was like doing his little B-roll for his mm-hmm. documentary about that abandoned cabin? hmm A lot of people say it was kind of just a knockoff of the infamous Bigfoot footage, and it was never released because it was obviously a ripoff. That's what they're saying. Because it wasn't until his death and his granddaughter, Dana Holyfield, was going through some of his shit and she found that footage. So later she used that footage in a documentary she made about honey. And she's done a lot of stuff about honey, like a documentary, some books. She does the circuits about it, but she says that she doesn't have any good reason that she could come up with why her grandfather didn't release the footage. Also, though, if you want to see the footprint mold, like, obviously, we'll have a picture on the website. But if you're local to the area, Dana donated it to the Abita Mystery House. Oh, they make some good beer. (laughs) Root beer. Robbie Charbonnet is a local who's a guide on some nature tours around that Honey Island Swamp area. And he, as well as some of his coworkers, they're like, look, any creature like that, that's like ape-like, it's not going to be able to exist in this swamp. But Robbie doubles down, and he said that he believes that the whole thing is just a tale of, like, a boogeyman to keep people from hunting there and away from any illegal activity going on, such as moonshiners. mm You'd think
1: the alligators themselves would be enough.
0: Well, if we've seen anything on Swamp Hunters with Swamp People. Just some good fucking money in alligator hunting. Uh Oh, I couldn't do it though. Oh, no. It grosses me out just to watch it. It doesn't gross me out to watch it, but it. I just think about all the the water, how it would taste, because it gets all up in your mouth and everything, because they're like splashing around. How much money would one oh, have to no, pay? No, you? no. Listen, you don't even know the question. Because any anything that I just said that made you think of something, and you're asking me how much money, uh, there's no amount. I
1: bet there is. There is no amount. What were you gonna ask? Me? Literally, everyone has a price. No. How much money would it take? For you to drink a cup of that water, literally, that's
0: I was going to say to drink the swamp water. Um, No amount of money in the
1: world, but like if you knew for a fact you weren't going to get sick from it, because you know parasites, a billion dollars for a billion dollars. See, there's a, there's a price. Yeah, but Everybody I would have to price.
0: know for sure when I was getting a billion dollars. It's not just like Carrie says she's going to pay me five dollars to
1: stick my. Finger in a light socket. Okay, don't do that. Never has that story happened. No one stick your finger anywhere unless it's consenting. (laughs) And if it's in Donna's case, she's always consenting.
0: Always putting that up there right now. Um, there's a vacancy sign right there, and it's pointing down (laughs) town. But seriously, like, no. No.
1: Still, there's a price, though. I
0: mean, a billion dollars, sure. I mean, if they wanted me to bite your ear, I'd do it for a million.
1: One million? And <laughs> you'd <put laughs> fucking Mike Tyson my ear?
0: Yeah. What the hell? I could do some little rubbing alcohol on it real quick and then just... Well, you think you're a piercer now? <laughs> what is
1: wrong with you?
0: Give you fucking strep throat Do you think you rule the world. Y'all speaking of my vacancy, was going to have a dick appointment. And I was like, well, i got strep throat, so definitely can't do that. And he was like, well, I'm getting tested for COVID. I've been vaccinated, but uh, I've been exposed, so can't be, you know, too safe. And so he was going to get tested. I was like, damn. (laughs) Well, back to honey. That's all I have on the Honey (laughs) Island Swap Monster. (laughs)
1: Oh, God. We're going to talk about honey because you're not getting any
0: honey. <laughs> Damn. <laughs> you know what? Everyone who writes in and they're like, y'all have the best friendship. You know what? She's for sale because she's kicking me while I'm down.
1: Isn't there a Lizzo song that's called, like,
0: The Truth Hurts? I don't know. Google it. But there is. <laughs> <laughs> but it's not a sentence. It just says truth hurts. Uh, well, it it's <laughs> Well, hopefully that was a lighter way to end than Carrie's heavy-ass story. Why, because it was about heavy metal? (laughs) Yes. You like how I like whispered that joke because I knew it was going to be such (laughs) shit?
1: (laughs) Oh, my God. Hey, well, thank you all for putting up with us when um, Donna Sick... And I can feel my throat getting scratchier by the minute. So, fuck all this illness. Right. Thank God it's not COVID, though, y'all. Stay safe. Stay healthy. Wash your hands. Take all precautions. And remember. Creep it real. And and don't don't get get scared. scared.